Good morning. Welcome. We're glad you're here this morning uh, on this first day of daylight savings time, uh, which makes me wonder, I wonder how many people are going to show up at the end of the service uh, ready to worship. Uh, We'll see if anybody if anybody does that. We're we're glad that you're here today. We welcome you and hope God's going to bless in a very special way this morning. Uh, we welcome our guests, especially. You're very important to us, and we're glad that you're here and hope that you'll feel very much a part of our family as we worship God together. And we'd like to invite our guests to uh, uh, to uh, take advantage of our hospitality table over here and drop by there. There's some information about our church, and uh, we'd love for you to uh, get to know us a little bit better. A few announcements I'd like to call to your attention. First of all, let me remind everyone of our attendance sheets that are on each row. We'd like to ask if you would to take that and to uh, fill it out as completely as you feel comfortable uh, with the information you feel comfortable giving to us. Uh, But especially if you would like to receive our email newsletter that comes out every Thursday, uh, please put your email address on there and we'll be sure to get you on the list for that. Uh, that will that will let you know um, about events and worship experiences, worship opportunities and opportunities for service and fellowship here at Community Baptist Church. So uh, please, if you would fill that, fill that out for us, we would certainly appreciate it. Uh, we were scheduled for a children's Sunday is fun day day today. Uh, however, that has been postponed because our illustrious leader is uh, is sick. Uh, she's not feeling very well today, and uh, so she has asked if we could put that off until next week. And so, uh, the children's activities that were scheduled for today will be uh, will be having that next week instead of this week. Uh, this week we will uh, be having our first Lenten lunch. Uh, today is the first Sunday of Lent. Um, and so as what that means here in, uh, in the city of, commu- of Henderson, the community of Henderson, is that we have uh, Lenten lunches that are spread out at different churches every Wednesday during the season of Lent. Uh, the first Lenten lunch will be this Wednesday at First Christian Church. Uh, it will begin at noon with a brief worship service, uh, a, a time of of reflection and gathering together in reflecting on the cross of Christ, and then uh, and then a, we'll have dinner afterwards, lunch right afterwards at 12:30. So about a 30-minute worship service, and then lunch at 12:30. Uh, so I hope that you can be a part of that. It's a wonderful, wonderful time. Um, we we will be hosting the Lenten lunch here the following week on uh, the 23rd. And if you would like to volunteer or make some donations towards that, please see Jerry Wagner, and she'll be glad to, uh, uh, to take care of that for you. A couple of other things. Uh, we will be having our Runway Red fashion show. We will be hosting that here on, um, when is that? March the 26th. March the 26th. Uh, that's uh, on a Saturday. And this is a fundraiser from Matthew 25, the HIV AIDS uh, services uh, uh, ministry here in town. And so it's a wonderful time. And if you would like to purchase a ticket for that, you can see Jika or Brittany, and they'll be glad to uh, uh, sell you a ticket. I think they're $20. Is that right? Or if you would like to volunteer for, for this, please see them, and we would be sure to put you in work somewhere. 
please note the, uh, the, meet, the teams meetings that we have during this week. Uh, if you're a part of one of those teams, uh, please be in your place uh, for the meeting time. And, um, and we're just glad you're here today. It's great to be in God's house with God's people, worshiping God together. Um, it's great to share the love of Christ with one another. And so let me invite you now to do just that. Let's stand and share the love of Christ with one another.
on down, children. It's the children's moment. Just good? Great, fantastic. I love that. Well, I feel like crap. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I tell you what, but it's good to be seen. You know what I want to do? I want to play a game. Do you really? I have a great game. Do you all know this game? It's called Simon Says. I do too. <laughs> no, I'm going to be Simon. Oh, darn it. Simon Says. Raise your hand. Simon Says. Raise your other hand. Okay, you can put it down. Oh. Oh, good. Good, good. All right. Simon Says. Flap your elbows and act like a chicken. There you go. Good, good. Simon says, touch your ear. Touch your nose. Oh, I saw it. <laughs> You're out. You're out. That's okay. It's just like that. Guess what? Guess what? Simon, just like the, the little game of Simon says, it's just a game. In the game of life, just like Simon, the Bible can tell us what to do. Right? Such as, let's just say, you have a mean little boy that comes up and hits you, or a mean little girl that comes up and hits you. Well, the, what does the Bible tell you to do? Love thy enemy. Right? It's that simple, guys. Our Bible can tell us what to do. I tell you, it's really, really tough in this game of life. Just like we're tempted by Satan to do some harm to somebody else, I tell you, just turn to the Bible and it will help you. Jesus Christ himself was tempted by Satan. And he fought off Satan by Scripture. So, just hear me out. Do you know that Satan even, excuse me, this is so written, this is written so small, I can't even read it. <laughs> I need some eyes. <laughs> anyway, oh, thank you. Awesome. Oh, and I can see. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Oh, this is awesome. Well, when Jesus Christ was tempted by Satan, when he, did, when he was tempted, all he did was just answer him with the scripture. Uh, after you, I'll tell you what, how about this? Just, I just feel absolutely silly, but that's okay. Life's silly, isn't it? 
I want you to bow your heads with me and pray with me. Dear Father, help us do what Jesus did. Help us do what the Bible tells us to do instead of listening to what Satan wants us to do. Amen. Thank you very much, Nora. Our Lenten reflection today is from Luke chapter 10, verse 51. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. After almost three years of ministry, the time came for Jesus to confront the powers and principalities who were marshalling their forces against him. After three years of healing and teaching and showing his disciples what the kingdom is to be, the time came for him to face his destiny. And from that time on, he set his face toward Jerusalem. Jesus knew what awaited him there. From that point on, each gospel takes us on an ominous feel. From that time on, each step Jesus took toward Jerusalem was a step toward suffering. From that time on, the cross loomed large in Christ's mind and words. With each step, a part of him died. During the Lenten season, we will follow in the steps of Christ and extinguish a candle each week to mark the agony of each step toward Jerusalem that Jesus took. In Nehemiah, it was reported that when they began to read the scripture, the people stood in reverence. I know we don't do that very often, but those of you all who can, would you mind standing as we read the scripture? Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the truth the fruit of the trees in the garden but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden nor shall you touch it or you shall die but the serpent said to the woman you will not die for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig trees together and made loincloths for themselves. Let us pray. Dear God, indeed, to you we describe all majesty and glory, and we crown you with many crowns because you are the awesome power of the universe. And most of all, God, we thank you that looking upon us as a sinful people and realizing that through that sin we could not reach you, that you sent your Son to be a bridge so that, again, we could enjoy the fellowship with you that Adam and Eve once had. So be with us, guide us, and help us to reach out to you in fellowship so we can walk this garden of earth to gather again, to serve you, and to bring people close to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Oh, God, God, we gather today in our fine clothes and full bellies. We've come from warm and secure homes, and we are mindful of those in other parts of our world that are hungry and cold and their homes ripped away from them. And uh, we ask um, prayers for them today and, and in other parts of our world. And so we come grateful for our bounteous blessings that we have, our, our freedoms and friends and uh, families and the fellowship of this warm community of faith. And as we come today, at this time in our service, we come bearing our gifts and our offerings, our tithes out of obedience and out of love and appreciation for the, the wealth that we possess. And we ask that in our giving we are mindful of the work that can be done through our gifts. And we pray, O oh Lord, that we, we know as well that all of these uh, you are Lord of. You are Lord of all. So awaken us to the needs of others. Uh, and we ask that we be good stewards and good servants of what we have and who we are as we come before you. Uh, in prayer and thanksgiving and in love, in Jesus' name, amen.
about a woman talking about joining a weight loss program. And at one meeting, the instructor held up an apple in one hand and a candy bar in the other hand. She asked, what are the attributes of this apple and how do they relate to our diet? And among the answers that came from the group were things like low in calories and lots of fiber. And then she detailed what was wrong with eating the candy bar high in calories and low in nutrition. And she concluded that apples are not only more healthful, but also less expensive. She said, do you know that I paid 75 cents for this candy bar? And the group stared as she held aloft the forbidden treat and the tempting wrapper. And then from the back of the room, a small voice called out and said, I'll give you a dollar for it. I guess that's human nature, isn't it? To prefer the candy bar rather than the apple. And of course, some, some of us would probably say that it was the apple that got us into trouble in the first place. It's one of the best known stories ever. Everything in the garden was beautiful and good. All of their needs were taken care of. Everything that they wanted was there for the picking, so to speak. There was only one thing that was forbidden to them. There was a tree in the center of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the scripture does not tell us that it was an apple tree, but I guess it doesn't hurt to visualize the forbidden fruit as a big, juicy Granny Smith or Fuji apple. God told Adam and Eve that they could not eat the fruit or that they could eat of the fruit of any tree in the garden except for that one tree. And of course, 
You know what people are like, don't you? Mark Twain once said that God's mistake was not making the snake forbidden. For then Adam would have surely eaten the snake. But one day, Eve is walking through the garden and, and she sees this forbidden fruit. And at the urgent urging of the serpent, she takes one little bite. And then to compound her mistake, she gave a bite to Adam. And so Eve has been blamed ever since for leading Adam into sin. But at, le- at the risk of, of over-interpreting this scripture, I want to come to Eve's defense for just a moment. I want you to note how the story reads. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Did you see that? Adam was with Eve when she ate that forbidden fruit. However, if you read in the second chapter of Genesis, the chapter before, you will note that Eve was not present when God told Adam not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In fact, Eve was not even an itch in Adam's ribs yet. God had not even created her in our story when God told Adam not to eat from the tree. And yet when the serpent tempts Eve and Adam was there with her, Adam apparently does not speak up. In fact, he remains silent and he watches Eve as she takes the forbidden fruit and eats it. Now remember that God had told Adam that he would die if he ate from that forbidden tree. But it's only after Adam sees that Eve does not die that Adam takes some of the fruit. Huh. What a guy. Instead of loving his wife and warning her about what God had said, Adam uses her as a guinea pig to test God's command. So, I don't know if that's over-interpretation or not, but I thought I might get some brownie points with you ladies. But I think we can say that Adam was at the very least an accessory to this crime. And... When God confronts Adam about his misdeed, Adam being the typical human being that he is, he tries to put the blame on Eve, and she tries to put it on the serpent. But God knows better. They both violated God's command, and now they must pay. Nancy Lee DeMoss has this to say about Adam and Eve's sin. She said, when we find something we like at the store, one of the first things we do is look at the price tag. Then she continues and she says, wouldn't it be nice if we understood the cost of sin right up front? If the forbidden fruit had been rotten and crawling with worms, do you think Adam and Eve would have taken any of it? But Genesis tells us when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She acted on her immediate desires without looking 
at the price tag. You know, that's probably one of the most common errors that all of us make. We don't count the costs before we do something. I mean, think about it. Would any young person experiment with drugs or alcohol if they could see themselves down the road addicted and unhealthy and losing all of their family and their friends? Would any spouse be unfaithful to his or her mate if the heartache and the pain were evident up front? Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. And the first casualty of Adam and Eve's sin is the loss of innocence. The Bible tells us that the eyes of both of them were opened and they saw that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made them into loincloths. Joy Adams quipped that they argued over who would wear the plants of the family. Settle down, settle down. (laughs) I'm sorry, you know. But the innocent Adam and Eve, they discovered what it means... To be naked, exposed, ashamed. And with that loss of innocence also came a loss of intimacy. Never again would things be the same for this couple and subsequently for for everyone else in the world, in history. My friends, we simply cannot overemphasize the, the brokenness that came into human relationships on that day, particularly with regard to the the family life. For example, just think about the relationships between siblings in the book of Genesis alone. Cain versus Abel, Isaac versus Ishmael, Esau versus Jacob, and Joseph versus all of his brothers. Every one of these stories is a disaster. And that's the problem in in a fallen world. People are estranged from one another. Husbands are estranged from their wives and parents are estranged from their children. Neighbors are estranged from each other. Tragedy happens every day because of the the fallenness of mankind and the brokenness of human relationships. Malcolm Goldwell in his best-selling book titled Blink tells about something that happened um, on the night of February the 3rd, 1999. There was a 20-year-old black immigrant from Guinea standing in the doorway of his apartment in the Bronx when four plainclothes policemen, all white, drove up. These policemen, dressed in civilian clothes, jumped out of their car and approached the man with their, their weapons drawn, asking for a word with him. And apparently the man had, had matched a description of a serial rapist that had been active in the neighborhood about a year before. Meanwhile, this immigrant knew someone who had been robbed recently by a group of armed white men, and so he was terrified. There he was in the middle of a bad neighborhood after midnight and some very large men walking towards him with their weapons drawn so that the immigrant panicked, and he, he ran up the stairs towards his apartment and reached out for the doorknob. 
The officers uh, would later say that he, he turned his body sideways and dug into his pocket for something. And, and then the immigrant, who, who spoke very little English, pulled a black object from his pocket and, and pointed it towards the officers in the dim light of the, of the hallway. And you can probably imagine what happened next. Forty-two gunshots later, the officers found themselves leaning over the body of this young man. And they discovered that the object that was in his hand was his wallet, which he was trying to show to them. That's the way things are in a fallen world. It simply cannot be exaggerated how much the loss of innocence and the loss of intimacy has cost humankind. The fact is that ignoring God's command changes everything in Adam and Eve's life. Before they disobeyed the command of God, Adam and Eve's life was idyllic. But now everything changes. Even the serpent is caught up in the aftermath of their misdeed. God decrees that the serpent will crawl on its belly and eat dust all the days of its life. And so the serpent pays for its crime. Adam and Eve also pay for their crimes as well. To, to Eve, God says, I will greatly increase your pains in bearing children. With pain, you will give birth to your children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now, here's an interesting question for you to ponder. Are these really curses which God has placed upon the woman? Or are they merely a description of how life will be? In a fallen world. For example, suppose modern science were to eliminate all pain in childbirth. Would that mean that we have eliminated God's curse? And how about women's subjection to their husbands? Is this a curse? Or is it simply a description of the way things are in a world that has fallen? Well, actually, that question's pretty much academic because you see, Christ has removed that curse from Eve as well as from all of humanity. The Apostle Paul, who is not exactly regarded as a feminist, writes in Galatians 3.28 that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So ladies, if you are living in subjection to your husband, don't say that it's a biblical way to live. Christ has removed that from your shoulders and made you equal. But according to this ancient story, Eve paid a high price for her disobedience. Adam paid too. To Adam, God said, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all of the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until, it re until you return to the ground. Since from the ground you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam had already been given dominion over the garden. He was already responsible for its upkeep and its maintenance, but now it would no longer be a joy for him. So you see, the loss of intimacy not only extended to Eve, but even to the earth from which Adam had come. And now life would be a toil. Then there was a fourth punishment that 
was the most deadly of all. You see, both of them are banished from the Garden of Eden. Our scripture says that the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove them out, he he placed on the east side of the garden cherubim with a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And that, my friends, is where many people live today, east of Eden, in a state of brokenness, estrangement, shame. Now, none of this was God's original intent, of course. So don't blame God for broken homes or broken bodies or broken neighborhoods or a broken world. This is the result of human beings expressing our free will in a negative way. Why did Adam and Eve disobey God? Well, why do you and I disobey God? There's something within us that covets rebellion. Why did Adam and Eve sin? Why do you and I sin? There's something within us that makes us want to. Now, somebody will say, the devil made me do it. You ever heard that? And my response is, no. The devil didn't make you do it. The devil didn't make you do anything unless you're Flip Wilson. (laughs) You remember that time-honored routine? Actually, looking around, probably a lot of you don't remember that. You're too young to remember that that humorous routine when Flip Wilson takes on the character of Geraldine. Geraldine's husband asked, why did you buy that new dress? And Geraldine said, well, honey, the devil made me do it. The husband said, didn't you say, get behind me, Satan? And Geraldine said, yeah, but he said it looks good from back here, too. That's good comedy. But it's bad theology. Because you see, all throughout the Scripture, we see that the devil does one thing and one thing only. He tempts. The devil does not make us do anything. You and I make the choice whether to give in or not. So don't blame the devil. And don't blame God. You and I are responsible for our own actions. So I guess a better question would be, did God know that Adam and Eve would sin? And I think the answer with that to that would have to be, Yes. You see, God gave us freedom. But God also knows what's in our hearts. And if you think about it, if God did not give us freedom and allow us to experience the consequences of that freedom, then we would always be like baby Christians. Because you see, freedom and even failure are essential to our emotional and spiritual growth. In Romans 5, I think we can find the best explanation that I know of for why God created a world in which the possibility of sin exists. Paul says that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint us. In other words, God wants to build people of character. God wants to build people who are suitable to inhabit eternity with God. And that's why God gives us freedom, even the freedom to disobey. I think it's significant that God put an angel 
guarding the, the entrance to the Garden of Eden. You see, this is the Bible's way of saying that never again here on earth will people live a perfect life. Never again here on earth will people live in perfect innocence and intimacy. We had our chance. We blew it. So where's the hope? Well, here it is. That's what the gospel is all about. That's where we get hope. Because we have blown it. Not only Adam and Eve, but every man and woman and child who has been born since then, we have all blown it. But the gospel is all about hope. You see, there are three very important gardens in the Bible. And one, of course, is the Garden, garden of Eden, where humanity first cried out to God, not your will, but my will be done. Then there's another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, where Christ cried out, not my will, but your will be done. And then later on, just the next day on a nearby hill, Jesus hangs on a cross, suffering on our behalf so that the curse of death and sin could be removed. Paul tells us that through one man, Adam, sin entered the world, but through another solitary individual, Jesus of Nazareth, came victory over sin and death. Jesus faced the tempter in the wilderness and did not sin, but on the cross... He gave himself as an offering for the sin of all of us. So there's the Garden of Eden. There's the Garden of Gethsemane. And there's a final garden of importance in the Bible. One that's where we really find our hope. One that is the object of our hope in Jesus Christ. And it's found at the very end of the Bible. In fact, it's the very last chapter of Revelation. Here's how John describes it. He said, An angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. And listen to this, folks. No longer will there be any curse? Remember in the Garden of Eden, because of the fallenness of humanity, a curse was placed upon them. But here is the hope of all of us. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. You see what's going on here? In Christ... The curse of death has been removed. Christ has made it possible for innocence and intimacy to be restored. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil will be transformed into the, the tree of life. And that's our hope. That's what we hope for. This broken world is it's not the final word. And I know that we look at what goes on in our world every day. We read the papers and we shake our heads and we wonder, 
How in the world do we get through this? Here's the hope. That's not the final word. Thank God. For you see, one man kneeled in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed, not my will, but your will be done. And then he allowed himself to be sacrificed on that cross. But that's all it took. Because of that, sin and death no longer have dominion over us. So thanks be to God for the great gift that God has given to us in Jesus Christ. And thanks be to God for Christ's great love that he would offer himself up for us. Amen. We're going to sing number 297, Search Me, O God. And as we sing this hymn, we're going to offer you an opportunity to respond in some way. As the Spirit urges you, there may be someone here today who's never made a commitment to Jesus Christ and and maybe you're living in the darkness of fallenness and, and, um, and there's not much hope. You're not seeing much hope in your life. And, but I'm here to tell you, folks, that Jesus is the one who can give you hope. Jesus can take that darkness and that, that despair that all of us face from time to time and shine his light into it and make our lives worth living. If you've never made that commitment to Christ, remember, He died on the cross for you. That's how much He loves you. And it doesn't matter what you've done in your life. It doesn't matter how you've lived your life. That's what grace is all about. God loves you no matter what and wants to be in a right relationship with you. Maybe you need to make that commitment for the first time today. Perhaps you're looking for a church home to be a part of. We invite you to unite with our church as we seek to serve God here. Maybe you need a time of prayer. Come and we will share in prayer. If God's dealing in your heart in any way, we invite you to come as we sing, Search Me, O God, number 297. Would you come?
Happy are those whose sins are covered, whose transgressions are forgiven. For great is the free gift of grace, and great is the love that surrounds those who trust in the Lord. And so let us receive this gift of grace today, and let us walk in the way of love. Amen. Yeah, you had that. 